What show are you working on? Uh, Conan. Welcome back to the Gentlemen's Dojo. To my left, we're hailing from Detroit, Michigan. <clears throat> yes. The lovely, the eloquent. Yep. The, the vivacious. The, uh, the working. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? He shows brief flashes of mediocrity on stage. Thank you. Gary Cannon. And to my right, still basking in the glow of the Pittsburgh Penguins win. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, it'll be the what whole summer, yeah. Uh, Mr. Steve Byrne. Well, the reason we have this song playing yes. is because we have an extremely very, very special guest. Not only special, but in studio. In studio. Yeah. In studio. Yeah, we yeah, love yeah. him. He's a Brooklyn boy. Yep. Mr. Dan Loria. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, you haven't seen the other guests that we've been getting, so oh, okay. this is a treat Gary, for us. <laughs> shut up. By the way, the we've bar been trying... is very low. That's why I'm here. Okay. It's a very it. low bar. I got it. I got it. <laughs> we're, we're really excited about this. And I, I the one, really, the one thing I wanted to talk to Dan about is I heard a rumor that he's trying to get Sullivan and Son erased from his IMDb page. Is that true? Would no, you shut no, up? I... Oh, my God. <laughs> that I, is my first question to Dan. I was with uh, Steve on that. We th- I always thought we were going to get a three-year pickup. I went out and bought a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember the yeah, last I was like, wow. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, the president of the studio is a good friend of mine, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. And we all thought we were going to get a three-year pickup, and Michael Wright, and then Michael leaves, and new guy comes in, says goodbye. <laughs> and now Dan's driving a Honda Civic, an '86 Honda Civic, and, and it's my fault. No, I'm driving a Tesla, but it's on heists. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I only take it on robberies. That's <laughs> to pay for it. That Tesla's yeah. at a CarMax in Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, now that you've had some time in in retrospect, what was what would your Thoughts be immediately if somebody says Sullivan Son to you, if, if it comes up in conversation, what are your thoughts about the show? Oh, I, this this is not a not a joke. I I have I don't have to make up any. It's not one of those. Oh yeah, that was good. It was interesting. I, you know, that was the most fun I ever had in forty years. Wow. I never laughed so much in all my life. You remember the. There was one episode and Jamie Woods was directing. Yeah. He mentioned the Borscht Belt. And Ahmed and Roy didn't know what the Borscht Belt was. His yeah. two comedians didn't know what the... The next three hours was every Borscht Belt joke. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to do a run-through. We never blocked it. And Jamie said, fake it. Yeah. And they loved it. <laughs> they thought it was great. I never... I think that was the day I... I, I don't think I've ever laughed that much in my life. I, I, I agree with it. you. You know, I was thinking about this the other day of the hardest I've laughed... On that set was Brian Doyle Murray had a, had had this running joke where he was taking like a number five on the toilet and the toilet was clogged or something yeah. and the plumber came in and said the only time I ever saw a number five <laughs> the man died and Brian Doyle Murray looks up to the heavens and he goes Papa and I remember falling like I didn't know the line was coming because they right. fed it to him the writers. And I dropped to the ground, and I was in tears, <laughs> like literally crying for two minutes. I yeah. couldn't keep it together. And then they had to do a second take, and they 
I I kept having to turn around. I was walking to the pool table and I was hunched over. I was crying. I was laughing yeah. so hard. No, that was I love Brian and uh, you know Brian always sat at that one seat at the bar and I was always behind the bar. Yeah. And Brian and I during rehearsals we were like uh, you know the Muppets. They had the two critics up in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Brian and I we would exchange and joke. A lot of times people would look at us like, what are those two laughing at? <laughs> but I do remember in the second season he had a scene with you and then he came back over and sat at the table and you know the audience was there and he whispered to me last year i would have stole that scene from the kit (laughs) 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 so he appreciated the hard work we really did think that we were going to get picked up for a fourth season i mean there was that vibe that although if you look back on all the tbs sitcoms it really was two or three seasons and done i mean it didn't yeah most shows didn't get picked yeah but we, we had something very unique which never happens in television uh, we did 10, then we did 10. Then the third year, they gave us 13, 13, but they moved a night. And the first three episodes of that 13 were the lowest we had in ratings. But the next 10 surpassed the other two seasons. That meant the audience followed us. That's a money winner in our business. That yeah. means you could stick another new one behind us, and no matter where you put us, it's eventually going to help another show. Yeah. When you when your audience fought like the Wonder Years, we were the number one show, and for a year and a half, and we, you know we win all the Emmys, and then they moved us, and we were still number one on that network for that night. So they put Doogie Howser behind us and had two hits. So I said after I saw the, what the last ten episodes were, forget if you add into thirteen, it's a low of the three years. But if you take those first three out, it's not. So I thought for sure we were going to be the block that they build another sitcom on right that's why i thought we were going to get the three-year pickup also pre uh you know pre-sales when you pre when you go to a network and say look we got 33 shows but we're going to do three more seasons so we can guarantee you a sale of at least 60 or 70 shows mm-hmm. that's pretty big in this business you yeah know, for syndication things how much is television you've been working forever now how much has television changed for you, what is your perception from the very beginning up until now that you've seen the vast different array? Well, it of... depends on what aspect you, you're talking about. If you're talking about acting, it's the change is astronomical. If you talk about business-wise, uh, cable, mm-hmm. that changed everything. I mean, you got to remember the Wonder Years. In our second season, we got 33, uh, 33 million viewers. My gosh. Per, and we were uh, that was one episode and we were we were unhappy because that was the lowest episode we had that year wow that, so I now mean... <laughs> to see that a 2 million uh, uh, viewership on cable that then of course that got blown away with the streaming and the hulu and all that so that those are all major changes um, in the business mm-hmm. i don't know how they i don't know what's coming next but anybody thinks that there will not be a next thing, nah, there'll be a next thing. Yeah, you know. there's always a next thing. Oh, yeah. I, I'm from the 60s. Pretty soon we'll drop a tab and you'll see it. You'll see the show <laughs> in your mind. You know, it's Gary's a, never been considered the next thing. Which yeah. You've just been a thing. By the way, 33 million. Sullivan never had 33. <laughs> no, no, we should silence. Silence. That was Dan awful. left. No, I, 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 loved it. I, I thought it was fun. I need to and... back up and correct Dan about something because he was joking. He was mentioning Roy and Ahmed uh, about the comedy thing being stand-ups and not knowing what the Borscht Belt was. I have to correct you. One of the two was a comic. 
<laughs> we'll let them fight without, it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without saying. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Wonder Years. Why do you think the the Wonder Years resonated so heavily with the American public? And to this day, you still will walk around in the restaurants and people still adore you. What is it about that show in particular? And then what is it that you did? Because you were you were ranked like one of the top five TV dads of all time, or so, right? No, that, that, like, yeah, that's interesting. They had a... Uh, it was in the L.A. Times. They had the 20 TV dads that you wished were your dad. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even on the list. Then the next year, they had the five dads that were most like the dad you had. I was number one. <laughs> so, that You want to know why the Wonder Years resonated? It was because uh, Neil uh, uh, Marlins and Carol Black created a very realistic show mm-hmm. and they left after 18 episodes and even Fred Savage will tell you the real star was Bob Brush mm-hmm. our head writer he kept it real um, one of the reasons why other shows with young kids didn't have that you know Peabody award feeling is because the kid was always made smarter right than all the adults, where half the Wonder Years, Fred's character, the narration, would say, I wish I knew then what I knew now. Yeah. See, and that was the key. I remember there was one about Brooklyn Bridge, but the writer of that tried to make that kid smarter than all the adults. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever the smartest person in a room. You know? Right. So adult or kids. So. Wasn't the original idea for the Wonder Years was a movie, right? Wasn't that the, kind of the idea that they thought of it as a movie? No, no. They always, it was always, uh, actually, Neil and Carol, uh, they had the first five years set up. See, again, we were canceled because of one person, just like Sullivan and Son. Mm-hmm. A guy named Ronald Perlman, a guy who owned Revlon. He bought New World. And he canceled. Uh, they didn't have much, but he sold off everything they had, you know, 60 episodes of Sledgehammer and Zorro and all that. And then the one hit he had, he went to ABC, and uh, uh, he really tried to rob him. Plus, Bob Iger had left, just left ABC, and he was our real champion. But I don't, like Bob Iger told me, I don't think anybody could have worked with that man. I'm telling you, if I'm ever in a room with... Uh, Ronald Perlman, only one of us coming out, and I wouldn't bet on him. I'm telling you now, that was that was rotten. Because That's why the show ended in the narration. And when you read, you, you know, you see that oh, the biography of the Wonder Years on TV, mm-hmm. and it says it ended because uh, the ratings were slipping. That's so easy to check. We were 27 out of 166 shows that year, and we were canceled. Wow. And we wanted to do 12 more. You, you could have kept going. Yeah. What were some of your favorite episodes? I mean, I have so many that I absolutely love. Oh, yeah. I, I what, are some, what are some of your favorites? That well, you the one from? that won, everybody thinks it was the pilot that won the Emmy, but it was the one I took Fred to work. Right. But later on, it was one where the daughter went off to college and right. I gave her my uh, duffel bag from the Marine Corps. Right. That was my favorite one. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting Great. because the the third episode, that was the father's office one, yeah. right? That was, I mean, three episodes in, and that was the Emmy one. Yeah. They, I mean, there were two shows, three shows that got nominated out of five for best uh, written sitcom. So we always won the best writing. In yeah. This, you know. I just remember uh, just rewatching that father's office one just yeah. like as of a week ago, and just remember. It, and it was very similar to our household where, you know, your dad would pull up from work and you could always always tell if he was in a good mood or bad mood. And <laughs> yeah. Everybody at the table started doing their homework and he was yeah. in a bad mood because something happened at work. And then just the, the great line from that movie was when Fred Savage said, 
my dad was better than this. I didn't yeah. think that my dad deserved to be here. He was better than this. And yeah. it was funny. As, as a little kid, he's talking to all of your coworkers, and they're like, are you going to come here to work? And yeah. he's like, I have no idea. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm like nine years old. And then just to, you, him asking you, was this where you wanted to be? Was this the job that you wanted to be? And you're like, no, this isn't what I expected. Want to play third base for the Yanks? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But my backup was a sea captain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that was it. Was good. And you know, Fred was, uh, you know, he was just a kid, but he was so creative. They had that thing where, you know, he went to work with me, and I come in, and I'm real grumpy, and I just walk through the kitchen, I slam the door. <laughs> well, then Fred came in right behind yeah. me, yeah, slammed the door just <laughs> as grumpy. Yeah. As that was Fred's idea. Oh, it really? Was? Oh, yeah. And how, how old was he at the time? Uh, Eleven. Eleven years old, and he knew yeah, the callback. Yeah, no, Fred. Fred's a, well, you know he's one of the leading four camera directors. We tried to get her on, uh, tried to get him on uh, yeah. Sullivan and Son. You know, yeah, he was working so much. Yeah, so. because he does a lot of two broke girls. I mean, he's all over the place. Oh doing... yeah, yeah. Four camera. He's he's probably the top five in the business. I I remember. Asking... I remember growing up having a crush on Winnie Cooper. I mean, course, every, buddy, every have you seen Winnie kid. lately? You still yeah, have a crush. I still have a, I still yeah. have a crush on her. Yeah, she's Danica on... McKellar is one of the most beautiful women in the world. Why she is not on a TV show? I mean, yeah, and she's written her fourth math book. She goes around and encourages young girls. They'll give Lindsay Lohan five chances, but they don't put Danica McKellar on. And she can act. That, yeah, know. not only that, beautiful and smart and Very just smart, absolutely yeah. amazing. And then Paul Pfeiffer, he's now a lawyer, he's right? He's a lawyer in New York, and um, he's a theatrical uh, lawyer. He's the lawyer for Spider-Man and other wow. big musicals. You know, If you ever want to start your production company, I'll yeah. set you up with <laughs> Josh, Josh Saviano. And uh, Jason is one of the leading uh, reality show producers. And, and Allie Mills, the one playing my wife, she's still acting. She's... Uh, she's on a soap opera now, and one of the last ones left. So, wow. you know, our business is like any other business. Fifteen uh, percent uh, uh, of the people I work with are total assholes, right? Just jerks. You know, you don't want to be with them. You don't like to work with them. Keep They're looking just, at Gary when you say yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> and then eighty-five percent are really, and we had them on Sullivan Son. Eighty-five percent of people who really want to work, try to make the best product, try to have a good time doing it. Yeah, because you know, that's infectious. The only difference with our business and everybody else's business is we promote the fifteen percent. We yeah. don't promote the eighty-five percent. I don't hang out with that fifteen percent. You know, I get on a set and ask an asshole. I go up and say, you're an asshole, and I don't want to be here. Yeah. You know? they. But most people I know, most of the guys I hang out with, Joe Montaigne, Dennis, you remember Dennis yeah. Farina came on the set? Nicest people you want to know, you know? And, and they worked hard. Yeah. And well, I remember way, Ted McGinley. Sure. I was on Happy Days, Married with Children, all mm -hmm. these shows, and... I'll never forget. I think it was our, 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 I think it was our first or second season. He came on and he was playing Carol's boyfriend for an episode, mm -hmm. and it was like I think it was the second. It was like the day before we were taping, and we we're just sitting down talking. He goes, "I got to tell you something." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "It's never like this." Yeah. I was like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "You got something great here. It's never like this." Yeah. And I thought this guy's done it all, right, seen it right, all, right. and that's the biggest compliment you could get from somebody like Ted McGinley. And I. You know, I, I was blown oh, away. Yeah. It was so nice to hear that because you people, take it for granted, I guess. Yeah, when people like to come on your set, that gets around town real fast. Mm -hmm. And that's why we had those characters come back all three seasons. Oh, yeah. And they couldn't John Michael work. Higgins. Yeah, Bill. Oh, Gardell. Yeah. yeah. And what, the, the kid from Big Bang Theory. 
Oh, Kunal Nair. Kun- oh, he was Kunal's terrific. Great. Yeah. What a talented guy, huh? Jesus. Yeah, very rich guy. He could afford a few Teslas himself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. That guy's... Which is a tribute to us because the last place he needed to be was Sullivan. <laughs> Completely, <and Sullivan>. yeah. <laughs> and he couldn't wait to come back. Every time I ran into him, he goes, oh, man, I missed that character. We yeah. had so much fun, you know. So, um, by, the, by the way, I just wanted to back up really quickly. What, what was the, because you and I have talked about this off of this uh, show, but what happened with the release of the wonder years dvds like why did why for people who don't what why was it so slow in being released the music clearance yes it was all about the music uh, you know these big shots and again i blame ronald perlman for that they screwed up the rights to the music so it could have been released earlier but without that music and naturally neil and carol they didn't want that so uh, one of the reasons why you don't see it on as often as most other shows is they still have to pay more for the Wonder Years because of that music rights deal. Right. So finally they worked that out for the DVD sale. And, you know, the sales went right through the roof initially. I don't know how it's doing now, but I imagine it's still doing pretty well. Because at the time I assume, I'm just assuming that you you make the film, much like movies back in right. yesteryear where they just assume... It's going to be an episode. It goes up. There's no VCR tapes or box sets right. or DVDs or anything like that. So they just thought it was a one-off, I, yeah. I would assume, right? Yeah, and uh, that's why I keep telling you to come over. I want to show you some early television when there were no tape. It's what they call kinescopes. And a kinescope is they took a film camera mm-hmm. and framed a TV set. And that's the only record, because when they did it on TV, it was in your living room. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is no cuts yeah. I mean, there's cuts all over the place, but they're cutting it while they're doing it. Well, this is something a lot of people don't know about Dan Laurie, but oh, how wonderful it. he is. When the like day one of Sullivan, he invites everybody over to his house, and on Sundays or Mondays or two, whatever day it was, Dan has all these young actors come over to his home and they watch classic films, and Dan appreciates acting so much. As you're watching it, it's almost like you get to watch it, but then you get to discuss it as well. And, you know, the one thing we always would tease you about is no cuts, no no cuts. (laughs) And it's so true. You forget about it, but you go to a movie nowadays and in one scene, they're cutting from the main character to the to the B character, to the car, to the outside of the car, back to the main, just all these cuts. And then you watch something like... um, like White Christmas with uh, yeah, Bing Crosby, Bing yeah. Crosby and Danny Kaye, and that opening scene, they do the thing, and then they, they're in the dressing room, and it's literally just a one shot of them in the dressing room, and the blocking is one walking to another to another, but it's all just it's one, one shot. shot. Yeah, and well, you, you forget like the actors back then, they had to know six pages of dialogue, sure, whereas now you could just do your line and then cut right to yeah. the next guy. And well, the longest take in Argo is twenty-seven seconds. That's and crazy. It, and it won That's, Best Picture. And you want to know why Ben Affleck didn't get nominated for Best Director? It's because there is no direction. Yeah. It's That's... editing. <laughs> now, I, personally, I think Ben Affleck is a very underrated actor. Yeah. When he played Superman and... Uh, and or Batman. He, he, no, also, he didn't he play oh, Superman? Oh, in, in yeah. uh, the Hollywood Land. Yeah, Hollywood Yeah, he was Land. great in that movie, He was yeah. terrific in that. And he has a scene in Argo, which he directed with Alan Arkin. It's only about three and a half pages. For my money, I think it's the best written three pages in there where they talk about how their obsession with what they do in life uh, affected their lives with their families. Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting there eating a sandwich. And there are 27 cuts and four different camera directions. 
Now, I'm doing a three-and-a-half-page scene with Alan Arkin. I say, put the camera over there, go to lunch, boys. <laughs> yeah. Come back and find magic in the can. Yeah. You know, and I thought he shortchanged himself as an actor. Yeah. I think he still does. Why do you think that... The, Everybody's cutting so much these days. What is well, the uh, the normal excuse is uh, the your generation and younger do not have a longer attention span. That is total garbage. Uh, the younger kids can sit six hours at a computer or a video game and yeah. never move. And the same people who are telling you that the very next commercial are trying to get you to binge watch 10 hours of a show. That's <laughs> yeah. horseshit. What happened was about 20 years ago, uh, even a little less, uh, the studios and the networks are no longer the parent company. Mm -hmm. We don't work for Louis B. Mayers and Daryl Zanuck's anymore or, or, or uh, Fred Silverman's or Brandon Tartikoff. Mm -hmm. We work for uh, General Electric, Westinghouse, Time Warner, and these business execs came in and they're getting paid a lot of money and they don't know anything. So the only thing they could say was, uh, how about a close-up on that line? Right. So it all became close-ups. So eventually it'll swing back to where, you know, the studios are their own company. I mean, you're a comic. Can you imagine watching uh, Jackie Gleason and Art Carney and cutting it? All no, that no, no. stuff all that Art Carney was yeah. doing, you had to see Gleason's face yeah. exploding. You can't cut back and forth. Right. Yeah. If anything needs air, it's comedy, unless you're not very good. Right. Then you cover it by cutting. And I thought on Sullivan and Son, we had some exceptionally talented people. Jody, and I remember one day, Jody did a scene with you. The audience is on the floor. And as she walked past me, she gave me a look, and I ducked behind the camera. <laughs> and the audience cracked up. And our director and Peter, our producer, they came running out. What was that laugh? Yeah. And we said, oh, it's just something Jody and I are doing. Oh, oh, do it again. And they said, oh, okay, we're going to cover that now. And I said, why? It won't work if you cover it. Yeah. And sure enough, it never made it into the thing. But yeah. they couldn't just trust that Jody and I, in the one look and me ducking, yeah. could last those 10 They had to have her look and me duck. Right, right, instead of, yeah. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. And anybody knows anything about comedy knows you don't. You know how free you are on stage. You don't want to be limited. Yeah. Open the frame up. Notice every time he talks about being a comedian, he looks at me, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Looks directly at me. Now, Dan, you've also the reason <laughs> this this just parlays into the next question. But uh, you know, the reason we, everybody knew you, but we didn't. Like Vince Vaughn is the one that suggested you because he had just come back from seeing you on stage as Lombardi. Lombardi, yeah. And he came back, and as we're gearing up, he said, "I I think I got a great idea for the dad." We said, "Who?" He said, "Dan Laurier." I'm like, "From the one? Are you kidding me?" He's like, "I just saw him on Broadway. He killed it. It was great." What was that experience like, performing as? I mean, an American icon, but a football icon. I mean, the yeah, Lombardi trophy. I, I mean, it's it's yeah. And I and I played football, <laughs> so it was. I mean, you're you're a jock. You played hockey and. Again, he's looking at me again. Women's volleyball. Women's volleyball. See, <laughs> statistician. Thank She's you. Smart. He kept I the stats. Even, yeah. Spent a little more time watching them. He got bullied volleyball. by the. He got bullied by them. Yeah. No, it was uh, great because they all came to the the game. The one night I remember, it wasn't a. I mean, they all came. Uh, 
you know, Paul Horning. Jim, and on Thursday nights, we'd have a talk back, and Jim Taylor twice talk back, Frank Gifford, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Coach Coglin from the Giants. I mean, it just, you know, Mer- Mercine, all of them. But the one night I remember is it was uh, Hank Aaron. Oh, my God. Yogi Berra. Jesus. And Frank Robinson sitting next to each other. Yogi was between the two of them. That's like $2,000 on Steiner Sports memorabilia (laughs) right there. That is unbelievable. And uh, I give Lombardi's actual first speech to the Packers. And in it, he says, we're going to be the Yankees of professional football. And I looked right at Yogi. Yeah. And he started (laughs) elbowing uh, uh, Hank Aaron. And when the show was over, all three of them came back. And Hank Aaron puts his arm around me and says, thank God you didn't say Yankees again. Yogi would have killed me. (laughs) And I said, I'll never forget that. And, of course, you you know, I I helped Yogi with his charity. And uh, I still help Joe Torre. Joe Torre came twice. Wow. Yeah. So they all came. All the jocks came, you know, and it was fun hearing a story. Uh, we weren't accepted as well in the Broadway community. You know, we were, they would always, the critics would make fun of our audience because our audience would come in with Packer shirts and hell, and they'd cry, these big men, you know. Yeah. But, so we didn't get nominated for a lot of time. Judith Light had the only nomination, which she more than deserved. But even Tommy Kale, our director who just directed Hamilton and won, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't get the nominations we thought we should have got. We were kind of pushed to the side. But we ran longer than any straight play on Broadway that season. We did 10 months. Wow. Yeah. What is is that uh, is that does that take a toll, toll on you doing 10 months straight every of- day? Yeah, again, it depends uh, a lot about who you're working with. I loved working with Judith Light. I mean, I had a great cast, Chris Sullivan and Keith and Bill Dawes, mm-hmm. the comic. Yeah. And uh, Rob. We had this a great cast, but Judith made it fun. Plus, you're playing Lombardi, so on those days, you really, you know, you got the flu or something. You're thinking about, ah, oh, maybe I can't. I never missed a performance, but there were a couple of times, ah, oh, maybe I can go. And you can almost feel... Coach Lombardi's foot up your ass. <laughs> Get out there! <laughs> Quit bitching. And, you don't, and as soon as you started, the show just took you away. And, and of course, Judith, Judith was the best. There was a scene that ends with, uh, I'm so excited, I just got the job with the Packers, and I give her a little peck on the cheek, and I got I to go to work, and I, and I leave. Well, we must have done 240 shows, and I, I was very good about never dropping a line. I was a good catcher. If somebody dropped a line, yeah. I would catch him and bring it back, and I never dropped. And for some reason, about four lines before the scene ended, Judith, I went blank. And Judith took one look at me. She knows the look. She's such a pro. <laughs> and she jumped up, and she gave me the biggest kiss I ever got on stage. Yeah. I was for flux. You know, I was like, and then she said, you better go to work. And I went on. Wow. And then she finished the scene with Keith. So the very next night, I got to the exact same spot, yeah. and I paused. And Judith looked up at me and went, mm-hmm. no. not happening. <laughs> not happening so again. I, you know, we finished the scene. I run off. I'm getting dressed. She comes off after the scene's over. She whacks me in the back of the head, and I say, hey, I gave it a shot. You know? <laughs> so, but it, when you have that kind of 
rapport with. Yeah, that's got to be great too. I mean, because you're you're feeding off of that live audience. I'm sure yeah. every night's different in terms of the energy in the room. And so yeah. I, that's probably why Sullivan was so great because you know go. we did. No, I'm being serious. We, we did two shows. <laughs> yeah. A day. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah I love that. You know, it, it is funny because we look back on that, and you know, I've I've told you this before. I mean, listen, there were nights yeah. at Sullivan and Son that we went and taped till. 10, 11 o'clock at night, yeah. that everybody was tired, everybody was burnt out. But I think the truth was, at the end of the day, despite the fact that there were a lot of issues sometimes with, you know, directors or things that were going on, rewriting all this stuff, it was such a fun vibe at that show. Oh, yeah. That no matter what was going on and how long the day was, everybody really kind of came together for the same purpose. I mean, it was hard to get frustrated just with all the elements going on because it was such a great family there. Oh, yeah, that's that's always the key. The Wonder Years, we had that. We had, you know, the parents of the kids were great. And uh, uh, Sullivan and Son, we just, it was fun going to work. I used to like the table read because we knew we weren't going to work after the table read. Yeah. And we'd go over and horse <laughs> around and they'd come over, all right, come back tomorrow. And sometimes we wouldn't even go home. We'd eat, we'd sit there, yeah. we'd talk, we'd bullshit. First day of rehearsals was always the funnest yeah. because everybody was just like, all right, we're jazz, we're getting started, we're getting cooking. But yeah. we would laugh pretty much the whole day. It was, it was yeah. really like nobody... You know, when I first used to, when I used to have to do those radio tours and anywhere when we were touring, I'd have to talk about the show. There was a, how was it like on set? I'm like, nobody went to their dressing rooms. Everybody kind of hung out. Yep. We all ate lunch together. We ate dinner together. It was just, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was damn fun. Yeah, and that's a key, especially on a comedy. That is a key to make a show work. What was your Boy, favorite you Sullivan and Son episode? Oh, there were a lot. When, uh, uh, well, the one where I got to make out with Jody, that didn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 we, I, that was the only one I kept saying. Can we do another take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy who doesn't like that. About time this bed yeah. saw some action. Yeah, right. It was my room. Yeah, yeah. right. That was great. Uh, no, I there was a lot of them I enjoyed, but there were just one-liners in almost every show that were just hysterical. And sometimes they weren't written. They were that night, you know? Yeah. I remember when uh, Owen had that little beanie on? That was my line when they came in. And I said, because uh, they were trying to think of a new line for mm -hmm. Ahmed when he first sees it. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Mine yeah, yeah. was, does that vibrate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, Rob, my favorite. Rob Long, uh, he, was, he was very gracious. He said, "That's that perverted line came from Dan. Yeah. And, and, you know, so. <laughs> my favorite scene was I, the literally, it aired out of order, but the last scene we ever filmed together was you and Brandon Murray on the front stoop. Oh, with Sharing the an... Yeah. Old Allegheny, yeah. but it changed. The name changed like three times. Whatever the name of the beer was, Salani. Old Salani, yeah. 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 That was. It was such a fitting. I don't know. It's like well, I. I'm upset that the show didn't come back, but for it to have ended that way, I don't know. I just. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Well, Brian and I suggest they wouldn't have done it, but we suggested that. Because we thought we're coming back next year. Yeah. That the first shot of us next year was finishing the last bottle of all those cases. Oh, oh that would have been great. Yeah. Ryan and I were laughing. We said, we just sat here all year waiting for the show to come back, you know? I do want to ask you, just going back to Lombardi one second, why is it that he, again, he he is still so revered in all oh, the research you've done amazing. and everything? Why does the American public still have a fascination with him and, and his his commitment to winning? Well, it was his hard work, and uh, I think the most misleading, it was a joke. They asked Big Willie Davis, big black uh, all-pro defense fan, became a judge, um, 
somebody said, does Coach Lombardi uh, treat you any differently, meaning the black ball players? And Willie Davis says, no, Coach Lombardi treats us all the same, like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the most misleading statement because yeah. everybody who knew him, if you talk to Frank Gifford, you talk to, to uh, uh, Jerry Kramer, if you talk to Willie Davis, he said, I meant it as a joke about prejudice, he says, mm -hmm. which he did. He had no prejudice in him. Um, and ironically, he was colorblind in real life. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he... Um, he played everyone like a fiddle. Like Jerry Kramer in his book, and he told the audience, he said, he screamed at me so much one day, I came within an inch of taking my helmet off and beating him. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the locker room seriously thinking of never playing football again. And he walked in and he rubbed me on the head and said, you know why I yell at you like that? I said, no, why, coach? He says, because you're going to be the best goddamn guard in the National Football League. That's and it. walked away. Jerry Kramer said, he could have beat yeah. me with a shovel. <laughs> right, right. He said, and he became one of the greatest who ever played. Yeah. You know? So he was that way. Willie, De uh, Willie Wood never yelled. Never yelled at him once. He was the first all-American black quarterback, and nobody drafted him because mm -hmm. he was little and fast. And he wrote a letter to every NFL team, and the only one who – responded was Vince Lombardi. He said, you're an All-American. You're welcome to try out for the Packers. And after three days of trying out, Lombardi went to him and said, you're not an NFL quarterback, but with your speed and your leaping ability, he was a little guy, but he could leap. He could dunk. Mm -hmm. He said, you're, you are going to be my strong safety. And, and uh, Willie Wood never played safety. He says, coach, I don't know. He says, you're going to learn, and until you do, you're going to run back kicks. And he made the all-star team the first year run a punt return. Wow. You know, but every time he went in at safety, he screwed up. The next, the second year, he got a little better, but every time he went in at safety, he just wasn't good. The third season, they went into camp. The safety had retired. First string safety, Willie Wood. He made 10 consecutive years the all-star as the safety. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody believed he could do it. So that's what Lombardi had. He knew what you could do, and he knew how to get the best out of you. But at the cost of, uh, he died at 57. He worked himself to death. Yeah. You know. And by the way, then, how was transitioning from that Broadway show to then Christmas Story, which is obviously oh. so much fun? Yeah. Christmas Story was really, first of all, I can't sing a note. So when I got a Broadway musical, I think Wendy Malick was the first one. She texted me. I'm sitting on my porch, and a pig just flew by. <laughs> you know? Because I, I can't. But, you know, Lombardi, I could hold my right. own yeah. with, you know, working with Tommy Sports Kale. And I could, And I'm working with Judith Light. I can hold my own. Now I go into a Christmas story. John Rando, the great director, for, first day he says dan you got to come in on an eight count and i said count slower i didn't know what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i said when that little girl walks up stage i'm coming on she yeah. don't walk up stage hey come on <laughs> it was a, this little girl she was such a cute little kid i said every time you walk up stage look in the wing and wink at me or else i'll miss my yeah. cue. and for the whole run she would wink at me wow <laughs> but the thing about christmas story was and I, i'm not being my this is the truth i have never been in a show 
where I felt I was the least talented person there. They sang, <laughs> they danced, they acted. I just went out, did the narration, yeah. and went off, you know. So, but I had that great closing speech. So, but they, it was just so much fun. Because how great was that to be doing Christmas Story in New York City? End oh, of yeah. November through December. I mean, you can't ask for no. A they more can magical do it every time. year. I don't know why they don't, but they uh, they want to keep doing non-union productions. But I think every year that thing could go back. Yeah, I thought they were bringing it back to other cities like Boston and Connecticut, and they were yeah, trying to franchise it out a little le- bit. They're on a different level, hmm. you know. And it's hard. We had a couple of people there that are hard to replace. I saw a production, and I'll tell you, John Bolton and uh, Aaron Dilley played the parents, and that Luke Spring, that little kid who yeah. did the solo number, uh, those parts weren't equal. My part, you can get a decent actor, and it'll, it'll work. But, yeah. you know, my part is keep it moving. I just try to get out of, you know, <laughs> keep, keep off the skyline. You know, get in there, say your line, keep it moving. Get to is, the next song, you know. Because you've done everything you can in entertainment. Is there anything like doing Broadway? Uh, well, I, I tell you, that's a little bit of a misconception. Everybody says, hey, you're on Broadway with Lombardi. I mean, doing Lombardi and working with Tommy Kale is great. But last year, I went to a 70-seat theater in uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. in Long Branch, New Jersey. And the second you step on stage, same thing. Same? Yeah? Same thing. <laughs> Do you perform less than all you got if you're at a little comedy club or if you're on an HBO special. Shut up, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah. so many things to say here, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't you can't you can't pace it. You might say, uh, you know, the dressing rooms are not as nice and you don't get all that notoriety, but the acting is the same. The so. minute you hit the stage you still turn it up as though it's a Yeah. Ten thousand yeah. seat band. But I always felt like when when I you know, go to perform in Vegas or I go to perform in New York City, you feel like you're part of that city that evening. Does that make that sense? Yeah. Like, if you go to Cleveland, it's like, oh, I'm doing a show in Cleveland. Sure. But when you're in New York, you feel like you're part of New York City. Like, when you're walking down the street and you're yeah. going back in the... I don't know, there's an excitement, a difference to to Manhattan. It's, it's got to be well, on Manhattan, the Well, Manhattan, you know, New York's the greatest place. I mean, if you make it there, right? You make yeah. it anywhere, all that stuff. But I'll tell you, walking down Long Branch on the dock down there on that beautiful pier, yeah. and people coming up, and you're the biggest thing ever in their lives. There's something about that, too. Yeah. In New York, they see a celebrity ever at the corner. Right. Here, it was like, wow, you came all the way here to do this for us? Yeah. This, this, uh, it works this double edge on that sword you know it's and what do you think younger you did you think did you know younger like you know i guess it's like junior high school high school that's when kids start to figure out did you think you're gonna be a football player or do you think i'm gonna be an actor and then if you look back at what you've accomplished now and you go to your younger self i mean what do you think you'd be thinking i had an aunt that lived with us when i was in high school liked old movies and she used to, you know, I'd come home from football practice, I'd be eating, and she'd say, go to bed. And yeah. right, you know, right after I ate, I went to bed, and at 2 in the morning, she'd wake me up and go, James Cagney, and we'd go watch the Late Late Show. You know? yeah. But she didn't have all these channels and everything. But I went to college uh, because I played football, and my goal was to um, become a coach. And mm-hmm. I had a chance to go to the University of Iowa as a graduate assistant and football coach. 
it was either that or to go to University of Connecticut where my MFA is in playwriting. This was oh. after the service. And yeah. I really had to say, do you want to be a football coach or are you going to go into the theater? Mm -hmm. And I knew if I went to Iowa, I could have got the same degree yeah. in writing. But I said, I'll end up being a coach. And something said, nah, you want to be an actor. So I enjoyed acting before I went into the service. So. You know, at undergraduate school. It's it, by the way before. I wanted to stay in the game. That's the key. Coaching, yeah. you're on the sideline. Acting, you're in the game. By the way, Dan is not like most like actor types, and you don't run with a different like. <laughs> Dan's friend, like I remember the first time I go over to Dan's place, he's got a picture of you and your old roommate in New York City, Ed O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, married to children, Al Bundy, yeah, Modern sure. Family. This guy's a black belt. Yeah, Dan. Dan would tell me like fight stories back in the day oh, in like Eddie, Brooklyn. Eddie, I mean, these are Good not actor. like these sprite kind of actor types. It's like these are like dudes that could run lines, I'm sure, clock ass at nights with the ladies, but also like beat the shit out of you yeah. if you called him like some. Well, you, you met know, Dennis actor, actor. He was. Uh, he yeah, was Ron, Perlman Ron Perlman on Perlman. Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this Joey is like Montana. a rough crew of yeah. like dudes. It makes me yeah. want to yeah, sue my parents. About, yeah, but we care about acting because it's, you know, like being in the game. It's being in, like Eddie O'Neill always said, I'm an actor because I didn't want to stay on the sidelines. Right. I Another jock, right? Oh, Eddie, Eddie got drafted by the Steelers. Oh. Yeah, he, he made two cuts, but he, he and then he said, ah, I'm going to go over to the acting because they want to be on a traveling team yeah. or something, you know. So, well, uh, as we near the finish line, I do want to ask you, because you've actually gotten me to spend a lot of time on the road, if if my cable system has it in whatever hotel I'm in, I put on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. I just watched Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yeah, good one. I always thought, boy, this is just some like kind of Broadway kind of... I watched it. I was blown away. And I was literally watching No Cuts. You yeah. know, there's long durations of scenes and everything. Now that you're thinking about and, it. And, and a blown-out performance by oh, her, isn't it? I mean, great. when they say, oh, you got to be so small on film, get out of here. You do what the character is supposed to do. And, and Gloria Swanson, what? And how about a movie where it's narrated by a guy who dies in the first frame of the movie? Yeah. You don't see, you're never going to see that. And anymore. she, I guess she was a silent film actress that had been bypassed by the studios because everybody's going to the uh, talkies and then they brought her yeah, back. Yeah, a lot Is of people true? say that, but Gloria Swanson always said, uh, you may, you know, like the line in the play, in, in that movie, mm -hmm. you're on your comeback, she goes, I was never gone. She was never gone. Yeah. She was a silent star. She was a, when it got to voice, she had a great voice because she was a theater actress. Mm -hmm. So when you see those gaps in her career where she didn't have a movie, she was doing a play. Right. She never, she was never out. She was a she well, she was a tough lady. What are three absolute films everybody must see? I, I was I'm trying to go through AFI's list and try to watch all 100 within the next year. Yeah, but what are there's your some, three musts? There's some things on that list that shouldn't be. But yeah, the, the six <laughs> senses. It's really so nice. hard to put. I mean, if you said what are my three favorite films. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, that even that would be hard. Because you have everything. Yeah. You go to Dan's house, he's like the Scorsese. Yeah, I have about 3,000 films. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's this vault. Charlie Durning, he was like my dad. He had 9,000 films. Jesus. Yeah. I did a I did a scene once. It's uh, like it's like with films, but Gary, for you, it's porn. 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 Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe we should go to Gary's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we'd all fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very tiny. Char- Charlie Durney, who he hated to go to the theater unless he was in it, but he saw just about everything I, I ever did. He was like my dad. And I said, Charlie, you got to come to this play. I got a bit in the second act. It's tearing a house down. You're going to love it. So when the show was over, and it really hit the night he was there, the show's over, and he comes back and he goes, Edgar Buchanan, Coconuts, the Marx Brothers, 1937. So I go home. I find it on my shelf. Yeah. I put it on. Same exact bit I did. Oh, really? There's wow. nothing new. And he knew it, huh? And he knew it. He knew exactly where it was. Wow. And I, and, you know, somewhere along the line, either I saw it or I just had the same thought. But there is nothing new. And that's why I tell these young actors. There isn't an acting teacher out there. I don't care what you study. That doesn't say watch people. Mm-hmm. But like Charlie taught me, he says, you watch people, but you only see them once. They go by. They very seldom do you get to see them do the same thing over. But watch old films and watch the mannerisms. Watch the, And that's why whenever I create a character, this is why I don't like to watch myself. Because I, in my mind, like in the Wonder Years, it was an actor, Van Heflin. You know, and when uh, Sullivan's son, it was William Demarest. Mm-hmm. You might know him as uh, Uncle Charlie on My Three Sons. Oh, wow. But if you see him in any of the old um, Preston Sturges movies, that's what I was doing. That's why I had that clip speech. Yeah. You know, I tried to pick a little quicker. But, you know, so when you you say pick three movies, it's almost impossible. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life is, if I had to pick one movie, that's my favorite movie because the world's a little better place every time they show it. Yeah. You know, and I'm a vet, so uh, best years of our lives. And you really learn a lot about acting watching that. And if you want to learn anything, I would never go to a comic audition without watching His Girl Friday just to keep my pacing up. Mm-hmm. You know? Will I, you tell us that one story of when you were with a bunch of veterans, I forget their names, but yeah. you were sitting around with a bunch of veterans and, and you were talking about Am I an actor yet? Or, oh, oh, yeah. I love yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, such yeah. a great. I thought you meant. Uh, uh, Marine vets. No, you mean actor vets, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, well, I was doing a play with uh, Jack Klugman, and one night I, I said to Jack, we were good tonight. And Jack went, we're always good. That's not <laughs> what it's about, you know. So we would go to dinner a lot, Jack and I and uh, Charles Durning, Dom DeLuise, and Peter Falk. I mean, And I'd a... always bring a young writer, uh, like Sarah Sweet, and they yeah. would tell the same old stories, you know. And Charlie was like my dad. And every time he saw me in a play, he would put his arm around me and go, another 20 years, you'll be an actor. <laughs> I say, okay, Charlie, I'll keep working. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, all right, I'll keep working. So now I'm doing this play with Jack Klugman, and Charlie and Dom and Peter all come on the same night. And Jack come into the dressing room, and he grabbed me. He's 84 years old, and he was like, don't do it for them. Just because they're here. Don't push. We got to do it for you and me. I go, I got you. I got you. Because sometimes when your friends are out there, you always have a good performance when they're there, but it's never that special night. But something clicked in, and we just had one of those magical moments. And as we're bowing, Mm -hmm. Jack says, we got to get the boys together and find out what the fuck we did right tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that was a Sunday. Tuesday night, we all went to dinner. And there were great stories, and they were talking about those magical nights. And Charlie, very emotionally, mm-hmm. he puts his arm around me and goes, all right, another 10 years you'll be an actor. Uh- <laughs> and Jack, without missing a beat, he looked at the great Charles Durning and said, Charlie, 
Are you an actor yet? And Charlie Durning looked at Jack. He held his two fingers about an inch apart. He says, Jack, I'm getting real close. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Falk leaned over and put the two fingers together and says, I think you're there, Charlie. <laughs> you know, and that's the way they were. Yeah. You, you just work on your craft, you know, critics and people. You know, I always tell, I, I think the biggest mistake young actors make, uh, and I got this from Charlie, was when they audition, they're trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. I don't. If I have an audition, I have five minutes to act today. You don't want to hire me? That's your business. Right. To me, a successful audition is I worked on something, I went in there, and I did it. You know, And I walk out and say, man, I did what I rehearsed. I hit it. And you know what? 90% of the time, even if you don't get the job, they're going to call you back. Right. Or you're going to be a guest spot on that show, or that director is going to, or that casting director is definitely going to. Gary, you should be writing this down. (laughs) (laughs) Take it all in. That was a whole different attitude. We were all from the theater. You got to remember, we all started where even on television, Mm -hmm. you did three, four minute scenes without a cut. Right. We had to do theater. We had no choice. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever asked me for a video. Or you know, text me something, or put online, or go to my this or that. They yeah. had to come to the theater, right? And if they said, "Oh, this guy could," matter of fact, you knew when directors started liking you because they would ask for you, and you would always be in the last scene of the day to shoot. Mm-hmm. I said, "Charlie, you know, I love this guy; he gives me work, but I'm always here till midnight. I'm always in the last scene." And Charlie looks and says, "You idiot! That means if they're running behind." He knows he can shoot the scene in one with you. That's a compliment. And he was right, because half the directors would come, guys, we're way behind, we're getting a double overtime. I got to shoot it in one. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And we'd shoot it in one. And then the director wouldn't get in trouble. He'd be get a pat on the back from the producers saying, right. thanks for making the day. You saved us money. They didn't go, where's the coverage? Right. Yeah, you know, it's not total. The kids today have it ten times harder than I had it. We just had to learn how to act. You guys have to learn how to do social media. You have to do everything but act. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The acting yeah. is the least. Do, yeah, don't worry issue. about acting. We'll cut it. We'll fix it in post. Right. What fix in post? They shot it in one. There's nothing to fix. You either like it or get out of it. That's why I didn't direct on the Wonder Years. I had it in my contract. I directed one. They screamed, this is a scene. There's no cuts. How could you do that? I said, I didn't think it needed it. They said, what if we want to cut out a line? You shouldn't have wrote it. <laughs> it works. It's in now. Yeah. <laughs> And what's the new show? You have a new show coming out. It's called Pitch. It's going to be on uh, Fox Thursday nights at 9 o'clock, September 22nd. It's about the first woman pitcher in the major leagues. And, of course, I'm the manager of the team, the gruff old manager. Yeah. And uh, Kylie Bunbury is in it, and she's terrific. Um, uh, uh, Mark Consuelos, Kelly Ripper's husband, he's in it. Ali Leiter, Jack McGee, uh, Mark Paul Geisler, he plays the captain of the team. Oh, wow. Bob Balaban. So, and baseball's behind it. We're not the San Diego Chicken Hawks. We're the San Diego Padres. Oh, wow. So MLB's like on board with this. And... Right. I, you know, yes, my opinion for what it's worth. I don't know if the ratings are going to matter, mm-hmm. if baseball's happy with it, and young girls get inspired to get more softball, go yeah. more games. We're going to stay on. Have you started filming it yet? We shot the pilot, and they told us we got picked up, and we would start in October, and it'll be on next year. And then the pilot tested so high, they oh, called. Wow and said, we're going on this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where'd they shoot that? Here in L.A.? 
uh, uh, we shot most of the pilot in San Diego. So in the pilot, when you see the San Diego Padres dressing room, it's their dressing room, their coaches. Holy smokes. They're going to recreate that in L.A. But the field, whenever we're playing home games, we will go to San Diego and shoot at Petco Stadium. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you better work on your... uh on your first pitch, because I'm sure you'll be throwing out quite a few of those over the course oh, of geez, I'm too old the MLB season. I used season. to pitch when I was a kid. Now I couldn't reach yeah. halfway, I think. By the way, let me just ask. Your, I mean, your resume is just uh, incredible from start to finish. What's something that you haven't done yet or would want to do that you, you, you're, you still think of? Like, what's one thing that you'd really still want to oh, do? Gary's that's... setting you up to say a comedy. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no there's, a, there's a lot of characters I would have liked to play. Uh uh, me and my friend Frank Megner and his wife Diana, we tried to bring back uh, Steve Allen's uh, Meeting of Minds, where you had five people from different centuries. And it was so successful that we were trying to get that back. The first one we did, Wendy Malick um, played the, the poet. Uh, what's her name? Anyway, Joe Montaigne was Galileo, Charles... Uh, Shaughnessy was um, Darwin. Shaughnessy, he's yeah. great. He's he, a, he was on our show, yeah. right? What a Such great a guy! Great nanny and um, and I was and uh, Gary Cole was Steve Allen, and I was Attila the Hun. You know, and the audience just loved it. I really wanted to bring that back, but Bill Allen said we couldn't write new ones, so kind of killed. But that was the one thing I really, really wanted to do: mm-hmm. tour colleges and get kids to write these things. This is what Lynn Miguel Miranda with Hamilton. This yeah. is what he and Tommy are really about, education. Mm-hmm. You know, these people who want to cut the arts from school pro, they have no idea where education's going because you cannot keep feeding kids what's on their phone. Right. It's there. So the most important thing is how can you make it creative? How and can you take it. Yeah. yeah. How can you get this knowledge across in a way where they don't look at you and say, "Okay, I got it on my phone. I don't need all those." Well, he's things. on the cover of Timer Rolling Stone this week. Yeah. For Hamilton, it's it's amazing, and I guess they're doing a uh, a live broadcast from on PBS yeah. of it towards the end of the year, I think, which is pretty amazing. It's amazing what every now and then when you think Broadway's past, it's here here comes somebody else. Have you seen it, Dan? Have you seen Hamilton? Oh, I knew these guys from. Before in the Heights. Dan was oh, telling wow. me about it they, yeah. before it even came out. He's yeah, Tommy. You guys are crashing on your couch and everything. Tommy just and... gave me a shout out on the Tonys when he got his Tony. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, Emily that show... Dickinson. That's who I was trying to think of for that Wendy play. But yeah, they. Um, I you know, Tommy. I gave him a place, to, uh, my apartment in New York, for free before in the Heights. And when they were talking about doing a backer's audition for In the Heights uh, because some backer wanted a name and not Lynn. I said, I'll give you them. Tell them I'm giving you the money for another backer's audition. If they don't want Lynn, we'll find somebody. And then luckily they didn't even need the money. They back her back down and said, okay, and now Lynn. So I love those wow. guys. They're, they're the best. And what do you like? What, what do you love to watch on TV right now? What's your show? What do you like out there? I, I can't stand the editing. You know, I uh, so it's very hard for me to get into the new shows. And, you know, just because you can do some special effect with blood on a screen or something, mm-hmm. I'm not impressed with that. If it doesn't have a story, 
on it. So I'm more into the Turner Classic movies. I do like some of the things on cable. I thought Breaking Bad, you know, Brian, I play cards with Brian Cranston, another guy. He, Tony Shalhoub, those are the... The public should know these people. They're yeah. great guys. Every time they win something, we all, all us character guys feel like we had a part <laughs> in it for <laughs> some <laughs> reason, you know. But um, if it doesn't have a story, I'm not impressed with special effects. Any kid can do that on their phone. Yeah. So why do I need to, you know. I watched Attila because I had done Attila for the Steve Allen thing. And Attila was quite a character. He's given credit for creating uh, military propaganda. That's not even part of the show. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have to that would have been the most interesting thing. If I was writing it, I would say, you know, he, 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 he did this horrible act. And when he went to the next village, they gave up because they heard about it. So Attila, being a bright guy, he gets these actors together yeah. and says, I want you to make up horrible stories about me. And he <laughs> sends them out. And yeah. all these villages gave up. Because they were afraid of this guy. And that's how he built his army. And that wasn't even part of that show. I have to tell you, two of my favorite memories of working with you guys on Sullivan and Son was one, which people, we've talked about this on the show before, where I would be up in the audience doing warm up and yeah, that was fun, fun of you guys and just crapping on oh, Steve. Oh, they would go and, back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. And then just Dan jumping in and he would start backing me up, making fun of you guys. Well, well uh, us was... as comics would try to go and insult you or insult each other, whatever, but Dan always had <laughs> lines that were better than the stand-up comedian's lines. <laughs> just, he would drop a line I'd the wait bar. for yeah. a bomb to go. Yeah, and he would just drop <laughs> just a line. Busting chops. so funny. And then what was great was after we taped our shows, uh, the bar would turn into a real bar, and we would all just hang out for a couple hours after the show, just kind of unwind and drink. Yeah. It was just such uh, a great vibe. I'll tell you, I, my sad card says I've been in here 43 years. That was the only show I knew where nobody went home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even shows that were there fun, where people are, you know, have a good night. You know, like Wendy Malick's show, you know, uh, Hot in Cleveland. Oh, those girls are great. They loved each other. But everybody would go home. Sure. Mm -hmm. They might sit in the dressing room and have one glass of wine, but they wouldn't party with everybody. Yeah. We did even party. after yeah, <laughs> even after long nights, and I just remember every time we would wrap up a show, we would hear like, "Hey, I don't think Warner Brothers is allowing us to yeah. open up this bar," and then we would just still do it. We just keep doing it, yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, and you it, wonder why we're canceled. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. There you go. In closing, because because you are such. You have such an appreciation for acting, but you really, really go out of your way to help everybody that's starting out. What is something you would want to convey to young actors or actresses out there? Well, we, we, we live in a time where people are trying to be famous just for being famous, mm -hmm. you know, the Kardashians. And, you know, if that's your goal is to be a star, there's nothing I can do to help you. But if you want to be an actor, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. You know, and really the best thing you can do is try to see plays, even bad plays, because you can learn a lot from bad performances, but watch those old movies. Mm -hmm. Watch those movies where there's four or five minute takes without a cut. And first time watch it, just sit back and enjoy it, but then go back and watch them, and you're going to pick up little bits, mannerisms, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I remember doing a... The only revival I did in 20 years, Jack Klugman made me do The Price. And he loved the way I played the character of Victor because it's a two-and-a-half-hour play, and I spoke so quickly. Yeah. And one night he goes, I, I, I love that, the energy. And I went, Richard Conti. He said, what? 
I said, there's an old actor named Richard Conte. He was mm -hmm. a very good actor. He says, that's what? What are you? You're doing Richard Conte? I said, forget it, Jack. Well, that night, House of Strangers was on with Edward G. Robinson, Richard Conte, and mm -hmm. Jack watched it. And the next day he came in and he goes, God damn it, I can't look at you and not see Richard Conte now. <laughs> said, but you get the play. Yeah. The play needed that. If I had done it slower, it would have been three hours. Right. You know, and but he was a street cop, so young actors can pick up. I'm not saying do an imitation of them, right? Doing Be inspired the energy and... and the mannerisms and the. I mean, when I I don't watch myself much, but the few of the Wonder Years they made me watch, I, it was hard for me to watch because in my mind I was doing Van Heflin, mm -hmm. and I could see the pacing was like Van Heflin, but I don't look like him, so it kind of throws me off. You know, and Sullivan and Son, it is William Demarest. And if you watch Hail a Conquering Hero mm -hmm. with Eddie Bracken, oh, I yeah, think we yeah, watched yeah, it that yeah. night. That the was Marines, the, yeah, that yeah. was yeah, that was the pace I was, that was trying yeah. to keep. I was always trying to be the guy who was, Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Yeah. I never wanted to lay slow down the line. I always mm -hmm. tried to pick it up a little bit. Right. So I just remember when we were at Dan's house uh, one summer for a barbecue and I was I was asking you about Wonder Years and I was yeah. such a fan and you said there were, I don't know, eight or nine episodes that you only had one line in, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I said, what was the line? And you went, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and And I just remember. <laughs> I remember <laughs> My father called when he saw that. I goes, they paid you for saying, huh? <laughs> I remember, I, I just remember I was sitting in his backyard. He told me that line, and I was like, I don't care what happens to me from now until the rest of my career. This was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Gary, hear. by the way, has mentioned that quite a few I, times. I he... love that line. I love the show. I used. I, I mean, literally. I mean, just. I know that there was kind of like that people criticized the ending that Winnie and Fred didn't hook up. That they didn't. That they both went on to marry other people. But like, I thought the ending was great. I mean, I just. But when he when Dan did the, I the was actual, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a funny bit. It got a big laugh yeah. too. But you know, hey, most shows like the most people don't realize that in Wonder Years, uh, we did twenty four a year. There were six I was never even in every year. Wow! And I got paid. I mean, oh, what a job! Great. And then there were six where I'd work one day. I'd have one line like, Ugh. You know? <laughs> and then there were six where you were the B story and you yeah. worked, you know, three or four days out of yeah. the seven that we used to shoot. With kids, it was a little longer. And then there were the six where I was the A story, you know? So you worked pretty much what a great gig. Day. Yeah, great gig. I loved it. And plus, it gave me a nice break to go back in New York and do a play and not have to worry about money. I could work for nothing again. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole goal in the business. Get to the point where you can work for nothing again. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, Pitch comes out on Fox. September 22nd. Second will be the yep. pilot. Uh, Nine o'clock on Thursday nights. Well, we cannot thank you enough, Dan. This was great. I love you. You know yeah, I love you, and yeah, I still I call him Pops. He, yeah. is, he was the fraternal figure on the set, but also, you know, many times we'd be texting each other or calling each other and hang out, and yeah. I really feel like you're a second Pop to me, so I really appreciate oh, it, Dan. You're the best. You had great parents, too. I love meeting them. Good yeah. folks. Yeah. Sorry, Gary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's be taken off here by one of our good friends, Miss... Uh, Christine Ebersol. Oh. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. All Dan. Things Comedy, at Steve Byrne Live, at Canon Comedy. Really? Yep. Believe okay. it or not. <laughs> and Dan is on Twitter, at Loria underscore Dan, I believe, right? 
I don't know. So what, you don't I, don't know. know. <laughs> I don't even know what Twitter is. The, You're on it. Am I? Just, yeah. Somebody just Google. Must have put him on. Just Google. <laughs> 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 All right, gentlemen's dojo. Thank you so much.